As we get into the Word of God this morning, I want to I share a short sermon with you this morning from uh, Luke chapter 8. <laughs> no, some, many of you didn't get the joke. Oh, let me, let me say, um, pray for Angie Harris's family. Uh, she had messaged me. Her mom passed away, and um, they're dealing with that right now. So pray for Angie, and uh, she comes here quite often, and, and just remember her and her family too. Uh, Angie, we are praying for you and praying for your family, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 22, verses 22 through 25. This will be a familiar passage to you. Um, I've, I've talked about this, and I've referenced this, um, this passage and this story several times as I've preached, and I've touched on it. I'm not so sure if I've preached an entire sermon from this text, uh, maybe a while back, but I want to talk to you about this, and, and this is what's just been kind of sitting on my heart and weighing on my heart lately. As I finished up the book of Malachi last week, and if you, wanna, if you missed a, any of the Malachi sermons, I believe that those would be very helpful to, a, uh, to get a better understanding of the Old Testament text and, and the prophetic voices that were going out, and especially the last prophetic word. All of those sermons are on a playlist on the, the Well Church YouTube channel, and you can go back and get all of the Malachi series, the whole series, uh, leading up to chapter 4 where we close it out, looking at what was the prophesied destruction of the house of Israel. And as we talked about that last week, we talked about the war that was launched uh, from uh, Titus, the emperor of Rome at that time, and how he persecuted and uh, killed so many Jews, so much of Israel, and he destroyed the entire house of Israel. He destroyed the temple, and it was completely left desolate uh, because of the abominations that were taking place. Well, in the midst of all of this turmoil, in the midst of all of this struggle and leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, we see Jesus Christ show up on the scene, and his arrival is, I believe, the introduction or the beginning of the kingdom of God. Okay, it is the, it is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God to history as we know it. So the, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the subsequent life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, followed by the ascension of Christ, is all the kingdom of God breaking into the reality as we know it. It's a historical point of fact that that's when the kingdom of God came down upon the earth and rested in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He, he was vindicated as the Son of the living God, as Yahweh himself, upon the resurrection and as he ascended into heaven he sat down the bible tells us at the right hand of god he took his place on the throne and he is he is king of all the earth and he's ruling and reigning right now from heaven and he's ruling and reigning from heaven in the church which is us a body of believer believers that we are the temple of god the temple of god is not made by human hands but it is the people of God, that your body is the temple of God. Collectively, we are the temple of God. We're being built up uh, into the temple of God, the place where God makes his dwelling among the earth, the place where God makes his dwelling. So we are the temple now, and God is ruling and reigning in and through us. Now, why do I say all of that? I say all of that to give you a great hope. As last week I told you that the destruction of Jerusalem was the, 
It was the judgment poured out by the Son of God, the Messiah, Yeshua, who came to show them who the Messiah was, his people, Israel. And he said, I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You would not come to me. And because you would not come to me, I'm going to leave your house desolate. And the kingdom is being removed from you, and it's being given to the Gentiles. And they are coming by faith to become one with the house of Israel. They're becoming uh, one with Israel. They're becoming part of the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? So now we see the Gentiles coming into the house of Israel, becoming the people of God. And I don't have time to get into all this. I think I'll, I'll get into this in the, in the next coming months or so. But this is something that I, I think that you started to see, but I want to paint a better picture for you. Is that when Israel was a nation, a theocratic nation, and it was the centerpiece of God's working on earth, in the temple, in Israel, whether it be the tabernacle or the temple, what you see are the nations coming to Israel to, to know who God is. They would look at Israel and they would know who God is and they would come and they would adhere to, submit to the laws of that theocratic nation and become what's called a proselyte. And they would become Israelites in so much as they would be a citizen of that country, not not ethnic DNA Israelites, but a citizen, almost like someone coming from a country to America, they would become Americans, right? And so what we see is when Israel denied Yahweh, they start making these terrible sacrifices. They were not living according to the word of Yahweh. They were not living according to the word of God. God uh, prophesies through his prophets that you will not stand before me. You will be destroyed. We see the New Testament open. Jesus Christ, their Messiah, come to save and rescue them. They reject him. They hate him. They crucify and murder him. They murder John, the last prophet to them, besides Jesus, who is the prophet. They cut John the Baptist's head off. They reject the Messiah. And the house of Israel, the nation of Israel, the theocratic nation of Israel, is completely demolished from the face of the earth, root and branch. The, remember Luke chapter 3, verse 9, the axe is at the root. It's cut. And what we see in that moment is, is that it switches from people coming to Israel to the church being birthed and the church going out to all nations. Okay? Now, the, the ingathering to the nation of Israel switches and the kingdom flipped on its head upside down. And now the church is, is the temple of God and the temple of God goes out. It's always movable. It's, it's, it's always in transition. It's transportable. And the, and the power of God goes out to the nations. And that now that you are the kingdom of God, you are the people of God, you are to carry the presence of God everywhere you go and that you are to infiltrate other cultures. So whereas in the beginning, this is why the Bible says, and I need to hurry up, this is why the Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. Have you ever wondered why it says that? Because obviously there are men and women. There are Jews and Greeks as far as ethnicity is concerned and DNA is concerned. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is that the gospel transcends culture. That there are not distinctions between the people that are greater than the gospel implications for making them one people. So you can be a Jew and follow Jewish culture, and you can be a Greek and follow Greek culture, and still be one man in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is not the written code of theocratic national Israel, but it is the 
it is the, the law written on the heart to transform the heart in whatever culture it goes to. That's why you don't have to go over to where you're going and convince them that they only need to do things in a Southern Baptist way. That's why you don't have to go into Africa where they dance a certain way and where they, they move a certain way in worship and try to convince them that they need to put on suit and ties and, and read a King James Bible and only sing from the hymnal. You don't have to do that. Why? Because the gospel is transforming in every culture that it goes into. That's what that means. So why do I say all of this in light of Luke chapter 8, which is about a storm? Here's why I say this is that there is no situation, no culture, no, pol no political system, no virus, no uh, method of danceology. There's no method of what you eat. You know, that's why Peter was, was hammered when he was sitting down with the Gentiles and he was eating with the Gentiles. And then the, the sect of Pharisees walked in and, and Peter's like, what, I wasn't eating with them? Why? Because Paul said, you've been set free from this. Are you a Jew who's living like Gentiles? You're going to try to convince them to live like a Jew again? And what Paul is trying to do is, is that it's not about national ethic Israel anymore. It's not, about a, it's not about a theocratic system. It's not about a certain law code written, but it's about the law of Christ that was written on your heart that effectually changes you wherever you are in whatever situation that you find yourself in. No matter what you eat or what you drink or no matter what code you're under, that Christ is now the infiltrator of every aspect of life that you could possibly imagine. Okay? Now, what that means is, is that Jesus Christ is king over all. Whereas in the Old Testament, God was God of who? Israelites. And anybody that would come and do things like the Israelites did. But in the New Covenant, it explodes outward. And now Jesus Christ is God of the earth. He's always God of the earth, but now he rules and reigns and the kingdom goes outward into all the earth. And it dispels the differences, at least differences that would divide one person from another person. So now a Jew can look at a Greek and say, we're one in Jesus Christ, even though our cultures are completely different. That's why there was no need for Paul to teach that all the Gentiles needed to be circumcised because in Christ they were already circumcised. Or to follow these certain laws because they were following the laws in Christ. And so the cultures could come together and say, I look different than you. You look different than me. Our differences are okay because we're one in Jesus Christ. Now, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ over all the earth and over all cultures and over all peoples in all ways brings great comfort to us because we know that in Christ we have assurance. We have a solid footing, a solid foundation. Not only is Christ king of heaven and king of earth and the ruler over everything visible and invisible, we know that he is sovereign, meaning that everything that happens happens under the watchful eye of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing can happen outside of his permission or his active decree, whichever way you want to look at it. What that means for me and you, Marcus, is that whatever comes around the bend next we can know that Christ has our back. That he will not let us down. That he will not let us fail. So whether it is a virus that creeps around 2020. Or whether it's an alcohol addiction that creeps around that your husband fell into. Or your wife fell into. Whether it is a sickness in your family. A death in your family. We can be sure that Christ has the answer. And that Christ is on the throne. And he never fails. Amen.
Now let me read the text. That was a long introduction, but I want to read the text and we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, I haven't even read the text yet. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Let's get started. <laughs> Luke 8, 22. Check this out. This is a very common uh, text. Most of you will know it. One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing, we're dying. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? You see, in this text, we learn a few things. Very practical text, very supernatural text. We learn a few things. One, Jesus is a hard sleeper. <laughs> he was a busy guy. It takes a lot out of a man casting out <laughs> demons. You know what I'm saying? Two, I believe it demonstrates that Christ has great faith himself. Three, we learn that those around Jesus did not have the level of faith that Christ had. Okay? Four, we learn that those around Jesus not only did not have the faith in Jesus that they should have had, but they had too much faith in their own sailing capabilities, and they were afraid they were going to die, right? And fifth, we know that Jesus Christ not only demonstrates great faith, but he demonstrates great power. Because as he awoke, he asked them, eh, where's your faith? And he said, wind, chill a little bit. Waves, knock it off. And they, and it was such a demonstration of power that the disciples did not worship Jesus at that moment. The disciples did not fall down in that moment and say, oh, great and wonderful God, you know? No, what did they do? They were afraid. They were like, this joker, he just told the wind to stop. Anybody else want to jump overboard? Because I'm about to go, you know. You see, the demonstration of power was such power that they were afraid. We see the, the very same thing in the next story of the demoniac who had the legion of demons. He was afraid of Jesus. And when he got cast out, everybody else was afraid of, afraid of Jesus. Listen, if I can take just uh, maybe an eight-second side note here. Uh, get, quit getting hung up on your limp-wristed hippie Jesus who just loves everybody. Because Jesus was a bad man, okay? He was a bad man. And, and when he demonstrated power, it wasn't like, oh, that was wonderful. No, people ran and hid, okay? He was a bad man, all right? He was the baddest man that ever touched the face of the earth. All of you guys who think you're tough, you bow down at his feet because he's way better than you are, okay? 
This is a man you can follow because he's the God man and even the waves and wind obeyed him. Now, let me, let me get into the text a little bit and, and put all of this together because what we've talked about is Christ being king on the throne who rules and reigns through you and through you, you go out to all the nations instead of making them come to you and making them do things as you do them. No, the gospel transcends culture. It transcends the different ways that we do life. And it says that, no, the gospel will effectively reach you where you are. We're coming to you to evangelize you, not to tell you necessarily how to do the ins and outs of culture, but to tell you what's up underneath it all, right? That Christ is on the throne, and not only is he on the throne, throne but he is God and king over the elements that we are that we are subject to now here it's wind and rain and water I would say that it's also any type of germs and atoms and anything else that anything that hits that anything that comes to anything is under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we want to say that Jesus was surprised by COVID we have to say that he's got some kind of plan here Okay, he's got some kind of plan and we don't get it. We don't understand it. We've lost loved ones and we're scratching our head going, why? And Jesus saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've got it all under control and I've got a plan. Okay, now let's go back here a little bit and we've looked at several of these different things. Let's look at Jesus Christ's great faith. And I'm going to move through this kind of rapidly because I want to, I want you to see that you're okay if you're in Christ that you're okay, all right? Now, what does great faith look like? Now, some of you may be ready and willing to say, Brandon, I don't have great faith. I don't. I wish I had more faith, but I don't have very good faith, right? How do I get more faith? It's, I'm glad you asked. You see, the way that we get more faith is, is that we ask for it. The Bible tells us that to each was given a measure of faith. Some of you do have more faith than another. Some of you have less faith than those around you. Well, how do you get more faith? You ask God for it. You seek after God. He's not hiding from you. He is not hard to find. Some of you simply have not because you ask not. You're not seeking after God. How many times have, I people, have, have people come to me and say, Brandon, I just don't know why my life's so horrible. I don't know why it's so hard for me. You know, this is happening and that is happening. And I just ask a few simple questions. I'm not trying to bring about condemnation or judge anyone. I ask them a few simple questions. How much time do you spend with God every day? How much time do you spend in God's Word? How much time do you spend in prayer? You've got this situation. You, you, you're addicted to pornography. How much time have you spent asking God to release you from the bondage of the slavery of sin? Well, no. What do you mean? You know, how much time have you spent with God asking God to teach you how to be a, a great husband so that your wife won't hate you? You know, I mean, you laugh, but it's true, right? You know, my wife can't stand me. My husband can't stand me. How much time have you spent looking internally and asking what type of changes do I need to make, God? Well, how do I need? Okay, ask God for faith. You can get a greater measure of faith. What does great faith look like? It looks like great peace in the midst of trial. You see, many, many, many Christians are convinced that what Christianity, the sum total of Christianity is having it your way all the time with no problems. That's the silliest counter-biblical idea I have ever heard in my entire life. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess Him as Lord and Savior, then 
trials will arise just to test that faith, right? Many of them at the hand of God. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus Christ into the wilderness to be tempted. Oftentimes we know from James chapter 1 that it's the trials and tribulation that tests our faith and prove it to be as pure as it could possibly be. We grow out of that. So I won't spend a lot of time there. But faith is that which brings about peace and calmness in the midst of trial and turbulence and pain and struggle. It's not a guarantee that you're not going to hit those things. The guarantee is that if you're in Christ and that if you love Christ and you're trusting in Christ and you're seeking after Christ and you're walking by the power of the Holy Spirit and you're finding comfort in the voice of the Holy Spirit that when the rain comes, when the winds come, when the floods rise and pounds on that house, that it'll be fine. It will not fall because its foundation is the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you can't be shaken. There is no guarantee that storms won't come. The guarantee is, is that if you put your, uh, your faith and trust in Christ, that when they do come, you're good. You're golden. We see it in Christ. Because Christ goes to sleep immediately when he gets on the boat. And here comes, now remember, these are professional tri uh, fishermen. These are professional boatmen. They know how to, to, to drive these boats. They did this every day of their lives. So the storm that came had to have been a, a magnificent storm, right? Because these are seasoned fishermen, seasoned seamen. And here comes this huge torrential uh, storm that's about to capsize the boat. And these guys are, are in fear of their life. And here Jesus is sleeping during this type of storm. Now, I want to demonstrate this for you. Titus, if you could come up here, please. And um, come on. Well, Kenzie wants to do it. If you want to let Kenzie do it, we'll let Kenzie do it. Um, and could I get, um, could I get, uh, Jake, come on up here with me. So here we have Jesus who is snoozing in the midst of this torrential downpour storm waves just rocking every which way and he doesn't know what to do or which way to go you're on that side Jacob. Titus you're gonna sleep okay <laughs> Titus is gonna demonstrate for you no turn around so they can see your face because this is gonna be good <laughs> turn around feet at the bottom we might need somebody a little smaller you don't got big bro yeah, yeah, that's why I got you, man, you know. We're, Titus is going to do, okay, first Titus, we're going to have, now I, I would imagine that if Jesus went to sleep, maybe it was time to go to sleep, so I'm just reading a little bit into the text, no, no doctrine being built here. I'm going to guess that the other disciples were probably asleep too, they just wanted to get a little shut eye. I just, you know, so this is just me kind of looking into the text a little bit, that they were probably awakened by the storm okay when Jesus slept on through it okay so first you're going to be the disciples and when you feel the torrential storm can you do this can you do this no you're doing this then get down come on yeah there we go okay first you're going to be the disciples and when the rains come and the storm comes you're going to wake up and you're going to be fearful of your life now I want you now this is for Jesus so you make sure that you do it justice, okay? All right, so lay down and go to sleep. 
baby. So he's good and asleep, okay? And we're on the boat. We just got on. The word of God went forth because Jesus was the one that said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Who is Jesus? So God's word went forth of, of what was supposed to happen. They were going to get on the boat. They were going to go to the other side. Did he ever say it was going to be smooth sailing? Not one time. No, he didn't. Okay, so we're on the path following God's word, and all of a sudden, a storm arises. Okay, so we see how not to do it. <laughs> All right, get up. Now, what did the disciples do when they were awakened by this great storm that had arose in the middle of the sea? What did they do? They jumped up. Ah! You know, we saw it demonstrated for us. Rather well, I might say. Rather well. So they jump up, and they're running around, and what did they say to Jesus? Anybody, anybody remember from the text? They, well, they told him to wake up, but what did they say? Don't you care that we're going to perish? Do you see the questioning of God there? I think that, I don't know if the, I don't, see, Jesus' response was, where's your faith, boy? Right? My paraphrase. But I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that he was saying that because they were afraid. I think he was saying that, now, I'm, this is a little, little, little me just kind of speculating on the text a little bit. We know that he said, where's your faith? After they jumped up, was scared, woke him up, and said, don't you care that we're going to die? I think his statement, where's your faith, was more of not just that they didn't believe he could do anything about it, but that he didn't care that they were going to die. How many times do we in our own natural lives we get that same idea. Man, we hit a storm, boom, and we start saying things like, God, you don't even care about me. You're letting me go through this. You don't even care. How can, how can you say you care about me, God, after I lost my job? How can you say you care about me, God, after I went through this or I went through that? And then all of a sudden, three months later, because we're not in that job and we're looking, we find a better job or whatever it might be. And we're always like, you don't even care about me, God. I don't think the Bible teaches that we can never be afraid, that we can never doubt, that we can never be unsure. I think that he's big enough to handle that. I think the book of Job tells us that. Because we see Job going, why, why, why? And at the end of the book, the Bible says that Job was vindicated in all that he had done and he did not sin. I think God's shoulders are big enough for our heads to fall down on and go, I don't get it, God. I think the problem comes when we say, I don't get it, God. You hate me. There's a problem. So anyway, let's lay back down. So the, the, so the disciples, they're jumping up. They're going, and remember, they had, the storm never woke Jesus up. Remember? The storm never woke Jesus up. It was not what woke him up. What woke him up? The cries of his people. There's, you see how deep this goes, Mark? This is why I can never preach for 30 minutes. Because even in that right there, your, trub, your, your particular storm, I don't think is of much interest to Jesus because he knows how bigger than that storm he is. What his concern is is how you handle it or, or are being handled by it. 
So if your storm is too big for you, that's understandable. Cry out to the Savior, that catches his attention. See, that's a whole nother sermon in a sermon. But now, let's watch now. And Jesus in the middle of the storm, okay, you ready? You got, hey, let's be strong. Be, be strong, young soldier. Yeah, okay, okay. Okay, let's start all up. So here's Jesus. Now, you're going you're gonna to just be so somber and restful. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Your neck's not going to be broke because we throw you off the stage. Okay? So here's Jesus in the storm. Ready? Go to sleep. Shh. No, for real. Go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Jesus in the storm. We're tearing up the storm. <laughs> go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Good job. All right, you guys may be seated. Jesus was sleeping good. Now, okay, I'm, I'm going to end with this. You guys can even come on up and play. I'm doing pretty good. Hey, huh? Don't clap for that. Y'all want me to keep going, right? I will preach another 15 minutes. Listen, listen. I want to give you a truth that maybe nobody has ever told you before. You may not have ever heard this or realized it. It may just be that you've forgotten it or haven't grabbed hold of it. The faith by which we come to God is not our own doing. The faith that is enough to bring salvation and calm in the midst of the most horrendous storms is not a faith that is drudged up out of your will and your grit and your determination. Let me say it again. You are not responsible for crafting your own faith. A faith that is good enough to be the life-saving vessel in the midst of a horrible storm. No. The scripture for that is this. By grace we have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. But it is a gift of God. Lest any man should boast. The faith that brings about salvation was given to you by a Savior who has so much faith and such great faith that the craziest, rockiest, most horrendous storm could not even make him bat an eye or awaken him from his slumber. He is not scared of the storms. He is not weary when he walks through them. He is not slow, as we understand slowness, but he is patient, longing for all to come to salvation. And for any that would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon his name, shall receive faith from him 
that would be the salvation and the faith that you need. I know. You say, I'm not good enough to come. I can't come. I don't know how to come. What If I did come, I wouldn't know what to do. I know. I know. Praise God. In our weaknesses, His strength made perfect. And at the moment when you can't go any further, the moment when you think, I cannot endure this storm, the moment you cry out, God, Jesus, don't you even care that I die in the middle of this storm? He says, oh, you of little faith. And praise God he didn't stop there. Because I don't know about you, but I've got small faith much of the time. But the follow-up to that was, oh, you of little faith, let me stop your storm. And what was the result? They stood in fear. Is that a terrible fear? I don't think so. Think back to Malachi chapter 3. It is those who fear my name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It was the fear of the Lord. When they saw that, what do you think it did to their faith? They said, who is this? Now, we're stupid people and we forget things very very often, but I guarantee you that it led to some pretty tremendous faith and some, some pretty tremendous uh, um, courage and fearlessness, right? Well, what happened to Peter? The same one that had cried out, don't you even care that we die? Remember the next time Jesus comes strolling up on the water, you know, another demonstration of deity, because he's like, hey, liquid, be be, be solid for a minute because i got to walk over here, right? And the water's like, yes, sir. You know, he comes strolling up on the water. And Peter, everybody gives Peter a bad rap because Peter sank. But hey, Peter got out of the boat. Peter's like, Lord, I want to do that. Like I can think of some of y'all. I can think of you doing that, right? Hey, Peter, I mean, Jesus, can I come out? I'm going to do it. Can I come? That's a great demonstration of faith. He hops on up out of the boat, and Peter is walking on water. Nobody remembers that. They're all like, Peter sank. Peter walked on water for a second. That's more than I've ever done. I sink every time. Like, you ever been at the lake? You'd be like, all right, Jesus, pull a Peter with me. You know, and you're like, whoo, right? It wasn't until Peter got distracted, so as long as he had his eyes on Christ, he was walking on the water too. But the text says as soon as he took his eyes off of Christ, he began to sink. But still, even then, see his faith was smaller. Dakota, you see Justin? His faith, it wavered for a moment. So he started to sink. But did Jesus be like, idiot? You know? No. He was like, shoo. And he caught him. Lifted him up. So this morning, I know the waters is raging all around you. I know they're raging around me a lot of times too. I know you, you've got questions. Vaccine, no vaccine, mass, they're crazy. No, 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 they're crazy. No, no, no. Politics, oh, Trump, Biden, oh, you know. Schools, are we going to have school? Are we not going to have school? I can't stand to be around these kids no more. We got to have school, right? We don't know what's going on. And even the less jovial or joking, funny things, I know some of you got loved ones who are like in the hospital right now. People that I care about right now are in the hospital fighting for their lives and it breaks my heart and I wish I could do so. Storms and waves just crashing all around us right now, right? Rest easy. The faith that caused Jesus to sleep away in the midst of the storm 
is necessarily and has to be the same faith that you have if you're truly saved because that's the only type of faith that saves so this morning lay it all down at the cross don't you leave here burdened today don't you leave here stressed out and sad and depressed and broken you can leave here struggling you can leave here wondering but if you desire you can have Christ as your anchor you can have that today all you have to do is ask all you have to do is submit so let's all stand to our feet and let's do business with God today and let's lay our burdens down on him he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light all who come to me I will give them rest sleep well children of God do business with him